You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Thank you for tuning in to today's special guest about dogs with special needs. Now, we have two amazing guests with us. Elaine Ryder is co-founder of the organization Wildside Unlimited, who takes a stand in caring for animals with special needs, as well as Stephanie Rizzo, who runs the Miracle Foundation of San Diego. And she actually seeks out those with special needs to rehabilitate them and rehome them. Both ladies have just the expertise to share their insight on how some dogs end up in shelters because of their special needs and the misconceptions of adopting a dog with special needs. So we'll tackle both angles. When we get back from these messages, Elaine and Stephanie will join us. Hey, cat people, litter box smells always on your mind. Think about your cat, not the box, with World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that delivers big odor control in a tiny package. World's Best Cat Litter harnesses the concentrated power of corn to trap odors deep inside the litter. Ready to knock out smells and use less litter? Find World's Best Cat Litter at Target, Walmart, and in your local grocery and pet stores. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Elaine Ryder from Wildside Unlimited and Stephanie Rizzo from the Miracle Foundation of San Diego. Thanks, guys, for taking the time today. It means a lot to me to cover this topic. So you guys actually know each other. So how about we start by getting to know, how did you guys meet? Stephanie, why don't you answer that? <laughs> Oscar to rescue and foster, the person that was kind of the foster the dog said that he could no longer foster, but for me not to worry that he had a friend that he knew would um, be able to foster. And then he introduced me to Elaine and it kind of just spiraled from there. Oh, wow. Okay. So Elaine, I believe fostered a dog from you, right? Oh, no, she adopted a dog from you. Well, she started out by fostering a couple of dogs for me. So that was the first dog that she fostered, but she's fostered a couple since then. And then um, the last one she adopted was a dog of mine. She ended up adopting her. Good for you, Elaine. <laughs> How was that experience for you? My experience with Stephanie and all the dogs that I've had the opportunity to work with her were each one was so individual and so amazing and they all kind of had their own special needs. And then the last one that I ended up adopting and not just fostering, she was completely blind and she had some other issues too where she was overweight really blind, maybe had some back leg problems. And in working with Stephanie and her helping to guide me was incredible. And she's such a great addition to our home. Oh, that's a nice story. Stephanie, that you focus on those with special needs. And why did you choose that route? Well, I tried to just because they're, I'm not looking to get the dog from the shelter that I know is going to get adopted by the public, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, so okay. I, I look for the ones that are going to have a hard time in the shelter, whether it's um, a medical, whether it's behavioral, and those are the ones that I concentrate on just because I know that, you know, the average person going into a shelter is going to overlook these dogs. The average rescue overlooks these dogs. They're expensive, take a lot of work, and they can take a long time to get adopted out. So they really don't have a chance unless somebody is specifically looking for a dog at the project. But the way I look at it, that's what rescue is about, rescue the project. Yes, absolutely. That's awesome that you do that. <laughs> I don't know the actual statistics of how many people surrender their dogs because they could no longer take care of their needs. But what is your guys' take on that for being the reason of surrendering, whether their dog developed a special need later in life or at birth? Like, What's your guys' opinions on people giving up their dogs because of that extra effort? From my point of view, working as a trainer with um, the public, a lot of people come to me as their dogs hit their later years of life, and they're looking for somebody to help guide them through the care of their dogs when it might even be as simple as they need to take a pill every day and the dog won't take its medicine, so they'll go and they'll surrender it because it's too much of a responsibility for them to try to do this every day. And then, of course, you add the aging where they can't get in and out, like, out the door anymore. They need assistance. So they become immobile or they're compromised when it comes to their walking. So it's a big deal. Sometimes people own dogs for their whole life, the dog's whole life, until maybe it's last three years and they decide to surrender it because they just don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I have my own opinions. A lot of people don't have the resources, you know, medically. And so, you know, people just like, okay, if I surrender this dog, hopefully, you know, they don't realize the shelters generally put those dogs down and they're hoping that sometimes it's also just a last ditch effort out of desperation because they can't afford the medical treatment. And they're, you know, just hoping, you know, some way that either the shelter will do it or that they'll get rescued um, because it's, it's very costly also. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, what are their options? Like from your end, like what, what do you, like what advice can they have if they reach that point with their dogs? I always advise that they reach out, even if they, they should reach out to the training industry or the animal care professionals, because it might be as easy as to assist their dogs walking that they get a little sling to help them walk outside. And that helps them immensely with everything they're doing. Or when dogs are losing their vision or have handicaps, they actually bounce back from it a lot better than sometimes people do. And I don't think that they give the dog enough credit for that. And so sometimes just working with an animal care professional can help you work through it. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. And I'm glad that you did mention that the dogs bounce back as the same as us, if not better. Right. I think that sometimes when we see that a dog's losing their vision, People can be anthropomorphic about it and be like, oh, what if I was to lose my vision? It would be the end of the world. Whereas when animals lose their vision, a lot of times they just start depending more on their senses. Yes. Even more, their sense of smell or their hearing or other things. They don't just go into depression or anything like that, like people assume. (laughs) That's true. That's why I see those dogs in wheelchairs and they're still bouncing around happy as ever. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, Stephanie, did you want to take an opinion here? You know, I see it happen both ways. I mean, sometimes people think that it's something that they can, you know, take on, and then they realize later on that they can't. Sometimes it's something that develops, and um, and then they just 
you know, they don't have the resources or they don't know who to reach out to. And there are so many different options. I mean, one of the things that our organization tries to do is if we can help an, an animal stay with its owner, I mean, that's our priority. We already have right. enough animals without homes. I mean, we've done things like, you know, we have relationships with different veterinarians in the community where we've, you know, taken, you know, had the animal under our account so that way they get the rescue discount or, you know, referred them to veterinarians that are able to help at lower cost. There's just a lot of different things. I've had, you know, animals, like I had one that got turned into us and we didn't realize the extent of her medical problems until after we got her, but it was just a lot of, like a severe hip dysplasia that started going on at a very young age. And so with her, when we adopted her out, we had it in the contract because she was still, she was still really young. So insurance was not going to be expensive on her because, you know, she was a young dog. And so we put, you know, we had part of our adoption contract instead of an adoption fee was having it in there that they had to maintain like health insurance on her. So that way, if she did require a hip replacement or something like that later in life, that that would be something that, you know, it wouldn't be an issue being able to provide that. Right, right. That is important, the insurance part. I am curious to know, since you do run an organization with special needs, is when do you get to that point where you really have to decide, is it worth the medications and the effort or whether or not it's time for them to go? Like that's such a hard decision, I can imagine, that you have to make. It is. You know, and we're a very small rescue, so it's like once we bring on a dog, we're committed to it 100%. And if that means we can't take on any other dogs for six months, we don't take any other dogs other dogs on because uh-huh. we really, we look to provide for them exactly as if they were our own personal pets. There's a lot of emotion involved, not just with us, but with our fosters who are putting their heart and souls and taking care of this animal. And as long as we see that the dog is enjoying life and happy, right. we'll continue with treatment. And we do work with, um, we do have um, a hospice veterinarian that we work with that, um, you know, that's helped us tremendously. And we have like a little checklist that we've, and, you know, and many times we all have to go through this checklist to see, you know, because we have different, you know, you have the foster's going to see things one way because they're closer to the animal and we're going to see things a different way. And then we just compare it and, you know, it's, it's a hard decision. It's never easy. Yeah, that's who oh, I can imagine. We're just going to have a quick break and we'll continue with our topic of dogs with special needs. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Well, she's sitting curled up on my lap as we speak. <laughs> Beautiful Bella's my long-haired Dotson. She was thrown out of a pickup truck going 30 miles an hour, and she disappeared into the woods with the wild animals, uh, boars and coyotes. About four weeks later, she just appeared as she was a mess. Her fur was matted. She scratched almost nonstop. My friend suggested that I order this stuff called Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. She gobbles it up. She has been itch-free ever since, and her fur is gorgeous. Anyone out there who has a rescue dog, start them on a Dinovite diet for at least a 90-day period. They bond better with the people who take good care of them. They are going to be your buddy for a very, very long time. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Elaine Ryder from Wildside Unlimited and Stephanie 
Rizzo from the Miracle Foundation of San Diego. Now, I want to tackle this question that could really help people looking to adopt. And unfortunately, some people view rescue dogs as broken. So if a rescue dog has special needs, it could be viewed as a double negative, sadly. Ladies, what is your take on this misconception? Because this would have to definitely come out. Right. I hear that a lot because people come to us at Wildside and they ask us to match them up with dogs that they're looking for. And so we'll go and refer foundations like Stephanie's or other places that you can get dogs. Um, One of the misconceptions is that the rescue dogs are going to be more of an issue when actually from a training point of view, I get a lot of dogs in where the families are like, you have to fix this or I need to surrender this dog. And they're from breeders. Mm -hmm. So they're purebreds and they're from breeders. I don't think there's ever going to be like, this is going to be a perfect match for this family. The rescue dogs, I haven't seen any more issues with them than I see from purebreds, and I see a lot of dogs that are in need of behavioral help. Right, that aren't necessarily rescue dogs. Right, it's a myth. Thank you. (laughs) And what about the rescue dogs with special needs? I mean, is that something like extra, I guess, stigmatized is the word, kind of? I would let Stephanie answer it, because she does the placement with the families with the dogs with special needs, but I would imagine it takes a special family to open their heart Mm -hmm. because it's going to be a journey no matter who you rescue and what you do. It's a lifelong obligation to that pet for that pet's life, and you have to be ready to maybe learn a little bit. Absolutely. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's definitely a big commitment knowing so, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, the way that I kind of try to explain to people, you know, the benefit of, you know, going into it this way is you already know everything. Like a reputable rescue, it's, I mean, they've already had the dog, like, fully evaluated behaviorally, medically. So, you're at least you're not stepping into anything not knowing. You, you know, you know exactly what you're getting into. And that's right. kind of one of the benefits of, you know, helping a dog like this. But, I mean, depending on, you know, what the ailment is, I mean, it can be tolling. Like, you know, we've had, you know, dogs that we've had in hospice care, basically, basically like adopted, but considered more of a forever foster, and that have had um, kidney failure. And, you know, that was, with this dog, it was an issue of literally giving her fluids like every single day. And it was something that the foster, you know, had to be able to do. And that's not something that, you know, just anybody could do. Right. And, you know, then there's some milder cases might be like, for instance, you know, the dog that I was speaking of earlier that had the, um, you know, hip dysplasia at a very young age. This family had to go into it knowing that there was there's going to be a possibility that she's going to need surgery, you know, within a few years. So it's a huge commitment. But if you, you know, if they go into it knowingly, there's, you know, there's certain things that can be done that can lessen the burden. Right. And I think that also it shouldn't be overlooked that, If you go ahead and you rescue a dog from the shelter or anywhere else, you're going to take that dog and you're going to bring it home and it might be perfectly healthy, but later on, if you need help and you go back, there's nobody there to really guide you. As like when I've worked with the Miracle Foundation with special needs dogs, if I had a question or anything about the animal that I was working with, Stephanie would come right over and then you had this trained professional working beside you that would help you to learn what to do to care for the animal. And then, of course, if it becomes too much, if it's a reputable rescue like Stephanie, 
she will take the dog back from you, that dog is not going to the shelter. So you never feel like you're alone, like you always have guidance. Right. Oh, that's a that's an, great like procedure you guys have going on there. Because a lot of people do, I mean, from what I know, don't know where to go. So their first thing is, well, got to surrender the dogs. That's really great what you guys are doing there. Well, always. I mean, our adopters are part of our family. And, you know, we're always going to be there for them, whether that dog is in foster care or if it's been adopted out, you know, permanently. Like I had one of my fosters recently, well, she's actually an adopter as well, she, you know, reached out to me because her dog had cancer. And um, the first thing I said, do you want us to help you fundraise? I don't want any of our animals to ever be euthanized due to financial reasons. If right. they're going to be euthanized, it needs to be because that's right. the humane choice, not because yeah. you know, they don't have the money. Right, right. Do you get a lot of interest in your dog, Stephanie? The special need ones, it's, you know, it's definitely slower. Ah. You know, everybody, everybody wants a perfect one, but in reality, <laughs> you know, what's perfect? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It's all relative. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually had a friend that was looking for a special needs one, but particularly the ones with the wheelchair. And she actually wanted to turn it into a therapy dog because she works with autistic children. Mm-hmm. So that I you thought should that give her help. Stephanie's number. Yeah. Can you guys <laughs> bring it to Canada? <laughs> You'd be surprised what we can do. Really? Oh, wow. Be careful what you ask for. That's true. And speaking of... The animal community is pretty tight-knit, so we can, you know, we can usually make things happen. Oh, well, I'll definitely uh, tell her to go on your website then. And speaking of her wanting to adopt, what extra steps do adopters need to know about when adopting or having a special needs dog? I know you guys mentioned they do have to know what they're going in for. Absolutely true. What other stuff would they have to know? Well, as far as the special needs part, I mean, it's, that's going to vary just depending on, you know, the issues what the that dog the dog has. Mm-hmm. As far as adopting, though, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, they think that they can just contact us and, hey, I want this dog, you know, what do I need to do? Uh-huh. And they don't realize that it is a process. And for some people, they think it's too much of a process, which unfortunately that happens. But, I mean, there is, when I say a process, I mean there's an application process. And then once we get that application process, we're going to review it. And, you know, and then if um, everything looks good, at that point we set up like a, a home check. And then after that, then there's the contract. And there's a rhyme and a reason for everything. I mean, the application process is just to screen out certain things, you know, if, um, you know, it asks questions like, you know, have you ever given up a dog? What were the circumstances? How much do you expect to spend on a dog per year? So there's just a lot of just screening questions there. The home check is just to make sure that, you know, their yard is secure. Um, but we're also looking at things like if they have other pets, like um, are, are the dog beds inside or is there a dog house outside? We're not going to adopt out an animal to a home where they keep the dogs outside. So we cut, we look at little things like that too, just to ensure that it is the quality of the home that we want for this animal. And right. then the contract is more of the legality thing. And it says things on it like, you know, you're, they're not allowed to ever give that dog away. Um, they're not allowed. I mean, if let's just say they lose their home or something, if they think that they have a suitable home for that dog, the last thing we want is the dog to come back into rescue, but we're going to screen that home just like we did them. Oh, yeah. Our sure. priorities to the dog. So um, those are little hurdles that, you know, people that are not part of the rescue community really understand. And it's just, I mean, it's just part of what it is because we are looking for a forever placement. We don't want these dogs bounced around any more than they have to be. Absolutely. And from my point of view, when I people walk in that aren't in the rescue industry looking for dogs, they might not understand that in-depth process and think it's too much of a hurdle to jump over. But 
what I what they don't understand is that they're being set up for success because we want to make sure that they're matched with a dog that is going to bring harmony to their home and not bring angst and that this is going to end as a fairy tale story and not have any problems later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That just totally brought up a memory. When I used to foster and did the interviews for a rescue down here, some people would actually seem like they were good matches. And three weeks later, something happens. Like, how, do, how do you guys avoid that? So one thing I really like about Stephanie is her clause that they can't surrender the dog to the local shelter where it might be euthanized, that they have to call her. And then she will take it back in and re-foster it out. Okay. I've actually had very few dogs returned, though, and I think it's because we do screen so carefully. Like, I actually had a coworker of mine that was looking specifically for a certain kind of dog. And so when I found the dog and brought it on, you know, I reached out to her, and it took her about a week to get back to me. And then, um, and it was exactly what she wanted. It was a young dog. It was a female. It was a Pekingese. Everything that she wanted. And then when she met the dog, you know, she said she'd have to go home and think about it, which was fine. Mm-hmm. And a week went by, two weeks by. And finally, like a month later, she says, oh, okay, well, we're ready for it. And at that point, it was just oh, like, wow. you know, I'm sorry. I don't think we're the right fit for you is basically what I said. And it's because I just didn't, for somebody that really wants to adopt, for it taking that long, I just, yeah. um, that was, it just I just didn't feel like, you know, it was a good fit for the dog. Because I am strict. Oh, I mean, definitely. And it was just, it was her lack of follow-up. And, you know, like right. I said, I... I got this, I rescued this dog specifically with her in mind, you know, thinking this dog would go there. But when it took like almost two months for her to make a decision, that doesn't show me somebody that's really, you know, committed. Oh, wow. Two months. Yeah. And so it's when you're strict like that, though, it avoids, really avoids having, you know, dogs come back. I mean, I would say in the past seven years, I could probably count on one hand, maybe like two or three that I've had come back. That's it. Oh, that's really good. That's really good, actually. But before we're going to wrap up here shortly, with the rescue dogs with special needs, what overall, I guess, what overall advice would you give for people looking to adopt one with special needs versus one without? I guess what I'm trying to say is, is what would encourage them to not overlook the one with special needs? Many of them are just like, are going to be just like your, you know, other dogs. It's just going to, ha- they're going to just need different adaptations. Like Callie, I think that, you know, I think Elaine can say about Callie that she adopted. I mean, Callie still plays with other dogs. She's mm-hmm. still goofy. She does run into things at times. <laughs> um, she's, um, so it's, you know, she does need that little extra help, mm-hmm. but it, it's not always something that's like hindering or a lot of extra work. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just knowing what their capabilities are. Right. Actually, to be to be quite honest with Callie, Callie came to us, I believe she weighed over 150 pounds. She's a Connie Corso, completely blind. And people might assume that she's a lot of work, but actually she's a lot easier for us to take care of than our other dogs, which don't have any handicaps. Callie doesn't try to run away. Callie Uh. will sit patiently and wait for us to guide her where she needs to go. She doesn't chew on the couch. She's not rambunctious. She doesn't climb up on things. She's not a bully. She's a really well-behaved dog, and she doesn't take a lot of work. The one thing she is is very dependent on us and wants to be around us. So if you're looking for a companion dog, a dog like Callie is perfection. Very good point. Very good point, (laughs) because they do rely on us. 
Yes, yes. Just because they're handicapped doesn't mean that they're more work. They actually might be less work. Yes, that is a good point. Very good point that you brought up there, <laughs> Elaine. Thank you for that. I think the best advice, you know, I could give to somebody that, you know, considering a dog with special needs is to know who you're adopting from because it's, I know organizations that have hundreds of dogs and how well can somebody really get to know each and every one of the dogs when you have that many. So it's really just important that whoever you're working with, that there's that level of communication and that those people really know that the dogs, the dogs that they have in their rescue, what their personalities are, what their quirks are, you know, what they're going to be good at, what they're not going to be good at. And an organization that also takes the time to really get to know their adopters as well. And that's, you know, that's when you're going to have success, whether it's a dog that doesn't have special needs or one that does have special needs. That is true. That's true. Because there's so many popping up nowadays that you don't know what the intentions are behind some of them, sadly. Well, thank you, ladies, for talking to me and our show producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. If you do want to check out Wildside Unlimited, their website is wildsideunlimited.com. And you can also check out Stephanie's Miracle Foundation on Facebook. It would be under Miracle Foundations SD. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until then, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.